Pastor Aaron will be preaching for us today. Let's welcome her up. Um, I'm not going to preach, but this song is so heavy, but, uh, our student leaders, they organized a gift, uh, where all the students participated and they got all of our staff, these awesome letterman jackets. Do we look young again? All of us more were like, yeah, we look young. It has our names engraved in it and a Mayus campus ministry in the back. Do you guys like it? Looks good. Look young. All right. I'm going to So shout out to our students. Jacket made its cameo. Um, you guys enjoy the video? That video, uh, Jensen Yap, our student leader, he's the one that actually put it together. So, ah, um, uh, Jensen Yap, where are you? There he is. <laughs> uh, so it's this first video that we're showing um, during Sunday service. So Jensen, you did an awesome job. Really, really good. Uh, we had our Emmaus banquet last night, and um, it was incredible. We had come a, a couple of the speakers who spoke for us on Tuesday join us as well, and we just got together at the Itaewon Sanctuary, and we had a Christmas affair, and we had a very naughty Australian Santa, and Sarah saw MC. <laughs> I, won't, I won't go into too much detail, but um, but it was it was very entertaining, and. Uh, but something that stood out for me were three testimonies that were shared last night. And I'm going to give you guys like the most snippet, cliff note version of these three testimonies because they kind of represent three uh, different types of backgrounds uh, where some of the students that are coming to our ministry come from. Uh, the first testimony was given by someone who was living a double life. And um, this person came and even before he came, he would faithfully go out to church, but you know, on the on his other time, he would go and party and drink and, you know, do what everyone else does. And so he continuously lived this double life, coming to Korea thinking that that was just going to continue until God inconveniently interrupted uh, his plans. And he, he ended up breaking his nose in a game of basketball. And what happened was when he broke his nose, he got sent to the hospital. He had no insurance. He had to pay, I think, over two mil Um uh, I think it was like 2,500 USD uh, for hospital bills. And the people that went to visit him in the hospital just happened to be students that were committed to come out to Emmaus. And so they visited him. He, were, he was there for, I think, two days, and they brought, you know, snacks and, you know, things like that. And so they took care of him so much that he felt obligated, okay, to hang out with them afterwards because, you know, they were like the only people that came and saw him. So afterwards he's like, all right, I guess I should hang out with you and somehow found his way to Emmaus and God radically transformed his life, especially at the Kairos retreat. And so, um, that's one story of a student named Dexter who shared, whose real name is Richard, by the way, his nickname is Dexter, by the way, because he reminds people of Dexter from Dexter's laboratory. If you guys know that cartoon, um, but the second testimony was a student who came uh, to Korea uh, without a relationship with God and um, didn't really come from a religious background, uh, was unfamiliar um, with what you know Christianity could look like. And she uh, came but was searching for God. And there was a hunger. There was something that 
drew her out because when she came, when we met her, I remember her really explicitly sharing, I'm, I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm seeking. And in the process of coming out to Emmaus, her first Emmaus large group, this is someone who wasn't even a Christian yet, uh, s- stood up to sing the songs of worship and without realizing it towards the end was bawling. You know, that same first large group, I had the students pray for one another, but she, I remember her specifically looking at me like, I don't know what to do because she's never prayed or prayed out loud for someone else. And so she was like, uh, what's going on? But Chungmi, our SNU student, ended up praying over her and they both ended up bawling. Okay. <laughs> See the pattern here? Bawling. And, um, <laughs> by the time she, uh, went to the Kairos retreat, um, she couldn't take it anymore. And the first Bible study, she ended up just giving her life to the Lord. She said, I just thought to myself, why wait? I can't wait any longer. And so she gave her life to the Lord. And since then, God's done a powerful work of forgiveness, of healing, of restoration in her life and a relationship with people. And so Karen shared a testimony yesterday, and it was powerful as well. And our third testimony was uh, from a student who thought drugs were good at one point. <laughs> um, no, he was a student that actually at a retreat, uh, he left a retreat very confused and he thought to himself, you know what? I don't think this is for me. Maybe God's not for me after a retreat. And he came to Korea with absolutely no expectation. In fact, he was here for two semesters. And the first semester, I didn't even know he existed because he never came out to Emmaus. He was up in the clubs for the first couple of months when he was in Korea, partying it up, getting drunk, you know, doing all of that stuff. He um, ended up going a really hard path into a a lifestyle of sin, similar to my story, ended up doing a lot of drugs and um, trying to numb himself from different pains that he was experiencing. And um, one of our awesome student leaders, Isaac M., uh, he so faithfully ministered to this young man who shared this testimony, um, even in the nights where he would come home drunk, staggering, you know, um, waking up in the elevator, you know, not knowing how he got there. And, but Isaac and faithfully, you know, in these nights would just come and be like, yo bro, you know, there's more to life than this. Come out to church, come out to Emmaus, you know, like just ministered and loved on him. And, Somewhere along the lines, despite the fact that he couldn't remember, you know, most of the conversations he had with Isaac, something happened, you know, there's power in our words. Amen. And, um, you know, God began to do a deep work and he started coming out to Emmaus because of a young lady that he thought was cute. Now, you know, I don't promote flirt to convert, but in this situation, it kind of worked. Okay. So... (laughs) No, she wasn't flirting, but she was cute. And, you know, somehow he find her, found his way to New Philly and his way to Emmaus. And um, uh, his first large group, was it your first large group? Where are you at? Where you got prophesied over? Yeah, first large group, I called him out and we just prophesied over him. And uh, just spoke life into him. And by the time Kairos Retreat came around... What happened was there was another student named Diane who I shared a testimony. She had tendonitis in her wrist and uh, she got healed. Now he was good friends with her. And when he saw her healing, that was his Kairos moment. He looked, saw her crying, saying, I don't feel any more pain. And that's when he knew, oh my gosh, God is real. God is real. And from that moment, he started to have a complete turnaround. And now he's on fire for the Lord. He was smoking almost two packs a day. Uh, coughing up blood. He was smoking that much and he hasn't picked up a cigarette, thought about a cigarette for over three months. 
And so, and you know, it's something that he didn't even intentionally think about. It just happened that way. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, transformation can't help but to happen. Amen. And so that was our brother Roy, who so powerfully shared yesterday. And so just three stories, someone who didn't know God, someone who was living a double life, and someone who was completely backslidden. Three transformations that represent a multitude of transformations that happened this semester alone. And so, you know, really just so, so, so amazed at how amazing God is. Amen. So let's just give a clap offering to how awesome God is. Yeah, it's really, really good. We're probably going to post up those testimonies on our Emmaus page if you guys are ever curious to hear it firsthand. Um, so I've been doing a, a series in Deuteronomy, and uh, we're in chapter one, baby, all right? We're in chapter one. I've done, done a couple of messages so far, and we are, we're going to wrap up chapter one today. You know what I'm saying? And so I want you guys to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter one, and we're going to read the final little pericope here, verses 34 all the way to 46. And we are going to wrap this chapter up with a bang. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34 to 46. All right, so um, why don't we just read this passage together? I'll uh, just start us off, but I want all of you guys to read. I'm going to be reading obviously from the ESV, but if you don't have the ESV, just read whatever version you have. It's totally okay. Um, here we go. And the Lord heard your words. You guys can join with me and was angered. And he swore not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account, and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight, for I'm not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen against the command of the Lord, and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Amen. You know, I described to you guys that Deuteronomy is an incredible book and it's an important book. In fact, when Jesus was 
led by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and Satan himself tempted him with three specific temptations, it was out of the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus combat, combated all those lies. This is a book that we have to pay attention to. And here, this is not the first time we hear of this story. The original account actually comes from Numbers chapter 14. But what's going on is Moses and the people of Israel are finally on the brink of entering the promised land after 40 years of wandering around. 40 years. And before they go in, because Moses himself is not allowed to go in since he disobeyed God, which occurred early on as well. Before he goes in, Moses thought, it is of utmost important that I reiterate the covenant that you're a part of. The problem with the Israelites was they were constantly lured out of covenant. Constantly. Constantly lured out of covenant based on fear, based on regret. Whatever it was, they were kept forgetting all that God had promised for them. And so they were found in this, in this situation. And so before this next young generation goes in the promised land... Moses said they need to hear the word of God and they need to hear our history. Remember when? And that was the last message I preached was remember when, when I was crying in front of you guys. Actually, since that message, I found my third grade journal. I didn't realize I brought it from home, but it's my first grade to third grade journal. Yeah, that didn't make much sense, but it was awesome. It was awesome. I talked a lot about like pizza and... um like my brother, like my brother made a lot of those entries. I don't like my brother. He ate my pizza, you know, like, (laughs) but I talked about the power of remembering when. And so here Moses continues to share the story of the Israelites and, and all that happened. And he talks specifically about how they continue to grumble against the Lord. When God initially said, now's the time to go into the promised land. Now, the original passage here actually comes from Numbers chapter 14. So I want us to actually look at that. Um, Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 to 38. So this is the original account. Deuteronomy is just Moses retelling what happened. Okay. And uh, I'm just going to read a couple of portions. I'll start from verse 20, but I want you guys just to hear Um, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did for Egypt and in the wilderness have yet and have yet to put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and had followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which we went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. You know, what's interesting about this passage is God is pissed. He's angry. You know, we love to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God. But here, let me be real with you. God also gets angry. And here in this passage, he's upset. He's upset and he, his anger kindled against the Israelites. Now, when you originally read through this passage, it's kind of like, whoa, God, they just made a mistake. Why are you overreacting? But if you look at this passage in Numbers specifically, it gives you a hint on why God is so angry with the Israelites, enough so that he disallows them from entering the promised land. Here in verse um, 20 
2 says, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness. First of all, this was a people that saw what God has done in Egypt. It's not a people that didn't know that God can do miracles. This is a people that have witnessed incredible miracles, incredible signs and wonders, being completely delivered from years and years of slavery in Egypt, the Red Sea parting, I mean, the Nile River turning into blood, locusts, all, all the different signs and wonders that Moses led, these people witnessed it. Not only that, they witnessed signs and wonders in the wilderness when God poured water out of the rock or when he supernaturally provided manna from heaven. You know, these are people that weren't unfamiliar to how powerful God could be. And yet, what is it saying? Continuation of verse 22. You put me to the test these 10 times. Interesting. 10 times. Now, the account that we just read, they just grumbled against the Lord once. So what are these 10 times that God's referring to? You know, there's a passage in scripture that says he's slow to anger. And I think God wanted to make it crystal clear that he's been patient. That he's not telling them, you can't go into the promised land out of a rash decision. But he's been patient. Now, what are these 10 times that he's referring to? I'll name them. 10 incidents where the Israelites have tested them. The first one was in Exodus chapter 14. 11 to 12, where Israelites rebuke Moses at the Red Sea. They don't trust him. They rebuke him at the Red Sea. The second one in Exodus chapter 15, they murmured against Moses because they were thirsty. The third, they murmured against Moses and Aaron because they were hungry. The fourth, they dismissed God's command regarding keeping manna overnight. The fifth, they dismissed God's command regarding gathering manna on the Sabbath. A lot of food-related issues here. The sixth, they murmured against Moses when they were thirsty again. This is in Exodus chapter 17. The seventh, the golden calf incident. Okay? Exodus 32. Eight, when they complained, continued to complain about their misfortunes in Numbers chapter 11, and God sent fire down from heaven because he was angry, but only burned the outside of their camps. Nine, Right after God sent the fire, they complained about wanting meat. That was Numbers chapter 11, right after. And the 10th act of testing the Lord was this situation here, where they sent 12 spies into the promised land, and only two came back with a good report, and the remaining 10 said, we can't go in there, we're going to die. And the rest of the Israelites responded with utter faithlessness and said, God, why did you bring us to this place, to kill us? So when God says, your generation, 20 and up, you're not coming into this land. This was specifically to the men, not to the children, nor to the women, but specifically to the young men, 20 and up. They were not allowed to enter into the promised land. It wasn't a one-time thing. We're talking about a repetitive issue that the Israelites had. Ten instances, despite all the signs and wonders and miracles that they've seen, where they could not believe in God's provision for them. 10. And so God expresses his anger and says, this generation, you're not going to see it. But not only that, if you look in the numbers account, he says this in verse, um, 28, this is a sobering verse. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. 
Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from, census from 20 years old and upward who have crumbled, grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore I would make you dwell. It says, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. So basically what God is says, everything you complained and accused me of, that's what you're going to get. If you are so convinced and putting your faith in that statement that I've brought you here to die, then so be it. This whole generation, that's what's going to happen. Your bodies will die in the wilderness. That's crazy. I mean, God continuously was patient with them. Ten times. Now, if you continue reading on the numbers account, not only that, but he talks about punishing their children's children. And he says, your 40 days are now going to turn into 40 years. This is before they did the 40 years. Remember, Moses is reaccounting what happened. 40 years where all of this generation is going to die out. You're going to wander around in the wilderness. A trip that should have taken, according to scholars, 11 days turned into 40 years because of their disobedience, because of their lack of faith. Not only that, after God gave that word of judgment, the 10 spies that gave the bad report died by plague. The only two that survived, Caleb and Joshua. So can you imagine what the Israelites were thinking at this point? Here they are. They were on the brink of the promised land. They have a freak out moment. Ten spies come, give them a bad report, and they say, you know what? Ah, we're going to die. We're going to die. And then God all of a sudden says, yeah, fine. You want to play that? You're going to die here in the wilderness. And ten of those spies die in front of them by plague. What were they experiencing in that moment? How were they going to respond to that? Well, if we look at what we just read in Deuteronomy, verse 41, something very interesting happens. It says, we've sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord, our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. The very thing that they thought would be impossible. We can't go up there. There's giants. They're huge. We can't possibly go up and be victorious. All of a sudden, when judgment of God comes, they think it's going to be easy. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. We're going to go right now. We're going to go right now. They wake up. They're mourning, they're in regret, and all of a sudden they decide, no, we're going to do this. We're going to go in the hill country. And Moses warns them, God's not with you. And yet they still choose to ignore God's command, and they go up. And what happens? They get their butts whooped. Like they got slammed. It's so interesting how the Israelites responded, isn't it? I mean, what propelled them to all of a sudden go into the promised land? I think in their minds, see, scholars say that this portion of the text, because they said, for we have sinned, is an example of what we call false repentance. They say, we're sorry, God, but they didn't understand what they were sorry for. They didn't get that God wasn't upset with them not going to the promised land, but he was angered because they didn't listen to his voice. And what did they do? In response, they say, I'm going to prove to you, God, that all things are well, and I'm going to go up to this hill country, but at the expense of what? Listening to God's voice. They missed it. 
they completely missed the point. They were mourning. They were crying. They were sad. Woe is us. We're going to do it. We're going to finally listen to you. Now we get it. You really want us to possess the promised land. So we're going to go forth. But two things were missing according to the numbers account. Number one, the Ark of the Covenant did not go with them. And the second thing that did not go with them was Moses himself. Irregardless of those two major things in every holy war, according to the Bible, those two things were key. The leader, the set man and his covering and to the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. The Israelites, whenever those two things were in place, they never lost a war. But here, despite Moses saying, no, God is not with you and I'm not with you, they still went ahead and fought this battle, thinking that it was the will of God. How does that happen? What's the Israelites' problem? What's wrong with them? You know, when I first started reading the Bible I was about in middle school and my Korean church handed out these cards where you can read the Bible in a year. And so somehow, even at that young of an age, I got a fire for reading the Lord. And so when I was in sixth grade, I used to just lay in bed and at night I would read scriptures and check off each chapter just because I loved that cross, you know, but I would read it. A lot of times I didn't understand. I didn't get it, but I read it. And I specifically remember reading the book of Deuteronomy and thinking, what's wrong with these people? Like, why are they so dumb? Like, how come they don't get it? Why are they constantly making the same mistake over and over and over and over? What's wrong with them? Why would they go fight a war when God wasn't with them? And when Moses specifically said, you will lose. Why would you do that? What would propel you? I don't get it. But it's interesting because if you read about this account in other parts of scripture, Hebrews 3, even Psalm 95, it talks about the Israelites' hearts being hardened. And when their hearts were were hardened, all of a sudden their understanding was completely blocked. Now what seemed like uh, the logical thing to do, we're not going to go, they were incapable of understanding. They were so hardened in their hearts They were so hardened in their disobedience that they could not understand that they were falling into the biggest trap. You know, God, he breaks it down for them, and yet the Israelites still didn't get it. So, you know, when I was reading this scripture, I was like, God, what? I don't understand why, why, why did they do this? And, and God just began to speak to me about how delayed obedience is disobedience. And what the Israelites were so keen, why did they presumptuously go up? The word presumptuous actually in the Hebrew is zud. And that word zud means arrogant, prideful. How could they pridefully go up into the hill country with such confidence would they swore that they were following the will of the Lord. It's true. God commanded them to go up, but they missed the word for today. And they were listening to the word of yesterday. Now, what I want to talk to you specifically about today is the power of God's presence. The problem with the Israelites over and over, even according to these 10 accounts where they tested God, is that they were constantly in the past or they were in the future. But never, never were they resting in the present. You know, Vicki Porterfield, she preached a powerful message last Sunday about the spiritual weapon of rest. 
And she talked about how it's an uncommon spiritual weapon, but it's a powerful one. In fact, it's one, the one thing that the devil is constantly trying to steal from each and every single one of us is our rest. He tries to engage you and lure you into the place of anger or discouragement or defeat or unforgiveness or hurt or pain in order to steal the one thing that Jesus Christ purchased on the cross, which was our rest in God. And the Israelites themselves continuously found them dwelling on the past or worrying about the future. Why would they save manna for tomorrow? Why? Because they were afraid for the future. They completely bypassed the fact that God put manna supernaturally today. And they worried about the future. Why did they beg for me? Because they were stuck on the past. They were so stuck on the glory days of when they were slaves in Egypt. That they couldn't acknowledge that they were set free from centuries of bondage. And again, they grumbled against the Lord. God is trying to get us to take back today because the problem is is today is what the devil's trying to steal our revelation of god being the god of yesterday that's powerful he's the god of your past he covered all of your mistakes your sins if you confess your sins he is faithful and just not only to forgive you of those sins but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness god covers you he covers your past not only that never will he leave you Never will he forsake you. God is the God that will be with you in the future. We get that. And when we understand those revelations, God in the past, God in the future, it's powerful. But the problem is too many Christians, we forget about the God of today. The God of the present. The God of the right now. Not the God of, oh, he'll do it tomorrow. Or not the God of, he'll do it in the future. I'm talking about the God that's with you right now. The God of the present. That's true rest. If you get the revelation that God is Emmanuel, that the almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent God is with you right now, how can you fear? How can you be afraid? How can you stay in the place of discouragement? But the problem is we're either thinking in the past or we're thinking in the future. You know, Pastor Benjamin preached a message last Sunday talking about the presence of present. And it was a powerful message. And when I listened to it, I got challenged by it, talking about the God of today. And I realized all throughout this week that so many of my thoughts is not in the present. I'm constantly thinking about what happened yesterday or what I need to do tomorrow. I'm constantly in the past or I'm constantly in the future. And I miss so much of what's going on in the present. I miss the opportunities that God is working in the today. And you may be thinking about God in the present or God in the future, but if you're missing God in today, you're missing God, period. We need to be awake and alert. Dave Gibbons from New Song Church, what did he say? He showed us a video of people passing the basketball and all of us were counting. One, two, three, and we all missed the moonwalking bear. Why? Because we were so focused on one aspect, we missed this Think that was just loud in our face. When you look back, you're like, what? How did I miss that? Right? And he's talking about the moonwalking bear representing the things that God is doing in the present, the opportunities that God's presenting today. You know, some of us are so stuck in the same place because we're in the past or we're in the future. 
What if I told you that if you understood the power of revelation of God today, your lives would change dramatically? Here, the Israelites, they heard the judgment of God, and what did they do? They let regret of yesterday be their incentive of stepping into the promised land that they weren't allowed to go in anymore. They were so consumed by the regret of yesterday that they thought, you know what? We got to fix this situation. We can't, God's pissed. We got to work it out. These 10 people died, you know, like this is a bad situation. Let's fix it. We made these mistakes. Okay, we get it. 10 times we made these same mistakes. Now we're going to fix it. They were so fixated on the regret and the mistakes of the past that they could not hear God's voice in the present that said, don't go up. How many of us are so fixated on the things of the past that you're unable to hear God's voice for today? You know, just before this, the Israelites wouldn't go into the promised land because they were so fixated on the fear of tomorrow. Fear of tomorrow, regret of the past, two traps. Two traps that you and I, as believers, we have to avoid. Fear of tomorrow and the regret of yesterday. God is the God of our present day. He's the God of today. Amen. I was constantly aware. Dang, I don't think about the present. I'm constantly thinking about something else. And so all this week I was challenged. I had to continuously shift myself. Okay, wait, no, let me get back to the present. And you know what I saw when I shifted into the present? I was able to notice the student that was really discouraged right next to me. Or the person in the subway that was limping. You know what I'm saying? Like all these things that I wouldn't have noticed because my thought life was just racing on what I made mistakes on or what I need to do that I missed the opportunities of the supernatural intervention of God for today. You know, there's an account in Mark about Jairus and Jairus' daughter, she died. But before she died, she was sick and they ran to Uh, find Jesus and his disciples. So they got Jesus and his disciples and they were going headed towards Jairus's house to save his daughter. Okay. His daughter's on his deathbed. And in the midst, there's huge crowds following Jesus. And as the crowds are following Jesus, he stops. This is what I love about Jesus. He's never in a rush. He's never frantic. He's never freaking out. He's always in the place of utter rest. Every place of ministry, he was in a place of rest. So he's walking. You don't see Jesus running. He's walking. There's not a single account of Jesus running somewhere. He's walking to Jairus's house to save this daughter. And all of a sudden, he feels power leave his robe. And he, you know what? This is a good time. I'm going to stop. Who touched me? And he allows this interruption In the midst of someone who's about to die, he allows himself to get interrupted in the original plan to find out who touched him. And he hears about this woman with the issue of blood who was bleeding for 20 years of her life, nonstop bleeding. Technically, she shouldn't have even been there or touched Jesus for that matter. But in faith, she touched him. Power went out and she got healed. Jesus allows himself to be interrupted, turns to her and say, daughter, your faith has healed you. He not only restores her physically, but in a holistic level, emotionally, spiritually, he identifies her daughter. Your faith has healed you. And at this point, 
time has passed. Who knows how long that took? All I know is by the time they got to Jairus' house, the daughter was dead. And to everybody else, time was gone. Jesus was too late. But for him, they were so fixated on the fact that Jesus was too late, they forgot that Jesus came. They were so, oh, Jesus, you missed it. They didn't, oh, hello, they weren't recognizing, wow, Jesus, you're here. They didn't get that Jesus entered the house, which means resurrection life. Enter the house, which means the power of God. Enter the house. They were so fixed on him being late that they missed it. In fact, when Jesus said, it's all good, she's just sleeping, they laughed at him. And he kicked them all out. <laughs> oh, you want to play? You're going to laugh? Everybody out. And three disciples he allowed to stay in. He said, don't be afraid, just believe. And they laughed. See, the same people in Jairus' family, they missed the presence of God. They missed it. They missed that he was there in that moment, that the supernatural power of God just entered the house because they were so fixated on the regret of the past. Had you not stopped for that woman? Had you not just been, if we just kept on going, if we went to plan according to plan, this wouldn't have happened. They were so set on the past, so worried for the future that they missed the present. How many times are we missing the present power of God? He's a God of today. Amen? Amen. You know, I want you to just turn to your neighbor. It's ridiculously hot in here, first of all. I didn't know you were going to say that. I was going to say uh, <laughs> something else. God is the God of today. Go say that to each other. And can we turn on the AC or something? All right, now turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. You know, it's funny, as I preach this message, a couple of things are happening. A few of you are so hot, you're falling asleep. A few of you are thinking about what you need to do after church. And a few of you are thinking about what you did yesterday that you don't want anybody to know about. And a few of you are actually in the present right now hearing the voice of the Lord. So I'm going to give you just one more chance to shift back into the place of right now. God is a God of today. This word is for you because the devil is trying to steal your today. What power is it to know that God will be there tomorrow? And what power is it to know that God has been there yesterday if we don't know the power of God being here right now? The decisions that you make are based on what you think right now. He is the God of today. And the word of the Lord is, do not miss his presence. Don't be caught in the regret of the past and don't be caught in the fear of the future, but allow yourself to get the revelation that God is here with you right now, which means the victorious power of Jesus Christ is with you right now, which means everything that you're facing in this situation 
is nothing compared to the power of God. Some of you guys, that's the revelation you need. He's here now. Not he's, he was there yesterday. Not just he'll be there with you tomorrow, but that God's with you right now. I want you guys to just close your eyes. And just take a moment and watch. God's presence is here right now. And he has a word specifically tailor-made to you. Now, even as if I give you a couple of minutes, what's going to happen is you're going to start thinking about things that you did. Or you're going to start thinking about things you need to do. And what I want you to do is take authority over your mind right now. And I want you to begin to tell yourself, God, I quiet my soul before you. He's here right now. And he needs you to know how powerful you are right now. And if you look back on your week, so many of you, your todays were stolen. Your todays were stolen by anxiety, and stress, frustration, worry, anger. But no longer God's going to call you to be a people of today. So I'm going to give you a moment. And it may not be easy at first. Some of you are not even used to this. But we're just going to meditate on the fact that God is with you right now. Everything else I want you to clear out. That the all-powerful, all-knowing, presence of God is here right now.
know, Jesus always moved in a place of rest because he always knew that he was walking in the presence of God, the Father. Everywhere that he went, he only did what he saw the Father do. And he only said what he thought, what he knew the Father had said. That was his rest. That was his revelation of God's presence. But there was one moment where Jesus forfeited that rest. And when he was hanging on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was a separation that happened of a relationship that was eternally in oneness. There's no greater hell than being severed from the presence of God. And Jesus endured that moment so that you and I can enter in into eternal rest every day. Well, you don't have to wait for tomorrow when things settle down, or you don't have to wait till next month when your parents finally approve of your job, or you don't have to wait till you get the next promotion, but you can rest in God's goodness today. And so, Father, we just... Declare that you're the God of today. That not only are you the God of our past, and not only are you the God of our future, but you're the God of the right now. That your presence, your powerful presence is with us. That because you are with us, we are powerful. Because you are with us, we are strong. Because you are with us, we can walk in complete joy. And Father, we step into the revelation of rest right now. That despite whatever storm that we may be in, despite whatever situation that we're facing, that you're the God that's with us. And we declare that that revelation is what's going to lead us to obedience. That when we know you're with us, we can do all that you call us to do. And so we just pray right now and declare that the devil will not steal our todays anymore. That no longer will he steal the moments of potential miracles. No longer will he steal the moments of of opportunities to share your love. No longer will he steal those moments of joy. Of gladness, of worship, of praise to you. But that we will forever, every day, be walking in the revelation of your presence. We just declare that over the whole house, that each day we would fight to stay in the presence, Lord. Yeah, we just thank you for the work that you're doing, even now, for those that just desperately needed to hear that you're with them today. For those that needed to hear that you're with them right now that your love is covering them right now. That your power is with them right now. That your joy is with them right now. That your healing is with them right now. That your forgiveness is with them right now. 
that your cleansing is with them right now. Yeah, we just speak that word over each and every single person here today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.